Hey Zwifters and welcome to a special episode of the Zwiftcast focused on pro riders using the platform. Coming up, a chat with one of the biggest names in pro cycling, Andrew Talansky. We've got some real pro tips on indoor training from a team performance director and Cannondale Draypack Pro Riders. And we'll hear from ex-pro and Tour de France rider Adrian Timmis on how Zwift has given him a new lease of racing life. Plus, a catch-up with Zwift's very own racer, Leah Thorvilson. The worst case scenario would have been if I'd gone up there and got so nervous that I got sketchy and I caused a crash. I don't want to be, oh, that Swift girl from Canyon Sram. So, something a little bit different this episode. Nathan and Shane get the day off whilst we concentrate on pro riders, ex-pro riders and new pro riders. All bound together, of course, by Zwift. Let's get things going by talking to Andrew Talansky. This is the Zwiftcast, the podcast for Zwifters. Arguably the highest profile pro rider to be seen regularly on Zwift this winter has been Andrew Talansky, the GC prospect for Cannondale Draypack. He's been leading rides and taking part in races. Whether he's been competing to win those races is a moot point, and we'll talk about that shortly. Andrew lives in California with a base in Girona in Spain. He's been a pro since 2011, but first started really grabbing attention when he won the Criterium du Dauphiné in 2014. It's a nice confidence booster, and it's, it's great for the team and myself going towards the Tour. But, you know, you still have to be realistic. I mean, the Tour de France is a, is a whole, nother, whole nother race. And so it proved. He went into that year's tour as a serious GC contender, but two crashes in the first week took their toll. No, 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 no. A little touch of wheels with Tulansky in the final couple hundred metres, and uh, he hit the deck there. Shame for Tulansky to have crashed like that. Then, on stage 11, the TV cameras captured agonising moments. Talansky was clearly struggling badly in the saddle. He dismounted and sat on the roadside barriers, obviously in distress. The team management spoke to him and after several minutes with tears on his face, Talansky remounted and finished the stage 32 minutes behind the leader. Because uh, it's going to be a touch and go, I think, for Andrew Talansky. These guys are... He didn't start stage 12. With me in a noisy cafe in Girona and Andrew at home awaiting the birth of his child, we talked about the incident. It would be very, very difficult to forget those heartbreaking uh, scenes where, you know, some, some felt that the television cameras shouldn't have been present, actually, but they were and everybody saw it. Does that still hurt? It definitely, um, you know, opened my eyes a bit to the effect that you can have on people without realizing it from the sport, you know, the kind of inspiration people can draw and um, the inspiration they can draw from what they see on the TV or your experiences. So I think I'm definitely a little bit more aware of that uh, since, since that year. But, you know, o overall, I would say that 
I'm I'm a bit more focused on here and now and what's to come. I I really honestly, I mean, people believe it or not, I don't really think about it that much anymore. I mean, I'm I'm much more of a person to live in the present and kind of focus on here and now and and, and maybe what's to come than dwell on the past. Um, I think you know, whenever something happens in the sport, good or bad, you have to look at it. You take it for what it is. You can you know, have your time where you feel excited if it was a good result or you can feel down if it, you know, you crashed or you dropped out or it was something a little bit more negative. But after, you know, a few days or whatever that period of time is, I think you have to move forward from it. You know, I certainly, so I, you know, I, I would say I don't dwell on it that much. Last year, Andrew endured what's been described as a tragedy in the household. It's a private matter, but it disrupted his season and he and the team decided he wouldn't ride the tour. He found form later in the season and finished an impressive fifth in the Vuelta. This season, he's also suffered an early injury, but only a small one. But it was what originally brought him onto Zwift. I uh, I actually had an injury. Uh, I broke my thumb towards the end of December and that forced me off the bikes. I had to have surgery on it. Uh, forced me off the bike for a couple weeks. And as I was getting back uh, into training, you know, I'd, I'd never used Zwift before, but the trainer can get a little bit monotonous. So I decided to hop on Zwift, see what it was all about. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It's pretty, it's, I, I think it's a great tool. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a good way to interact with people. And uh, there's definitely some strong people on there. So I've enjoyed it. Do you think that the platform is growing in credibility with pro riders? I mean, there was obviously the, the, the highly publicized case of, of, of what how it helped Matt Heyman and I don't think you know I don't think anybody claimed that that Zwift helped that that Zwift was responsible for Matt Heyman winning Paris-Roubaix Matt Heyman was responsible for for, for Matt Heyman winning Paris-Roubaix I think I think any cyclist would realize that but it clearly helped him with a part of his rehabilitation at a critical point um, in, in recovering from injury and and do you think, I mean, do you get a sense amongst fellow pro riders that there is real credibility now for the platform? I mean, I think so. You know, everybody that, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I was a little bit skeptical. I was, you know, I had never used it till I had this injury, right? Because I maybe occasionally I needed to ride the trainer um, due to weather or whatever. You know, maybe you have an easy day and it's freezing outside or raining and you just want to get your hour done and hop off. But you know, this coming into this, I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have a, a few weeks here now where I need to be able to train and, and, you know, at least do, do more than an hour at a time. And, uh, that can definitely get a bit tough if you're just staring down at a power meter and, and sitting on the trainer. I mean, trainers are incredible now that like the tax Neo, you can change the resistance, you can, you know, get workouts going, you can do everything. But the virtual reality platform that Zwift provides, you know, you see yourself riding the social aspect that there's other people. I mean, one of my good friends, Chris Jones, who rides for United Healthcare, I didn't even know he was using it. And he lives in Bend, Oregon. It's covered in snow. He wakes up every morning, uh, goes for, you know, two, three hours Nordic skiing. And then he hops right on the trainer and gets on Zwift when he gets home. And I, I didn't know that. Uh, and one of the first days I was on there, he sent me a text, you know, see, I see, I see that you're on Zwift and you know, kind of for the next couple of weeks when during during the time I couldn't ride outdoors due to my thumb, you know, we'd pick a time and hop on there and kind of virtually train together. So I would say it's definitely gaining credibility. I mean, it's it's good as a training tool. It's good uh, from a motivational sense. I think it's good whether you're coming back from an injury or you're just, you know, looking for some kind of good controlled training due to the weather outside or time constraints or anything else. 
Unusually for a pro rider on Zwift, Andrew has taken part in several races. I saw one and he didn't win. I wondered why. The race I saw you in, um, you finished sixth and I got the impression that we were not seeing um, absolutely everything that Andrew Talansky could possibly give us during that race. Would that be a correct impression? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think so. You know, that said, I don't know exactly which day that was, but like I said, you know, I was coming off two weeks not being able to ride at all um, and then ride onto the trainer. So I might have been, I might have very well been suffering and not uh, <laughs> not been able to go uh, go much harder. But you know, that that said, I mean, on the Zwift races, you obviously kind of treat it a bit like, a, you know, like a hard group ride. I mean, you, you want to maybe go deep or you want to see what you're doing, but you can back off a little bit and, uh, and you know, keep things keep things reasonable and save save the kind of all out full gas efforts for the for the races on the road. Yeah. But you know what, Andrew, that makes you a lot more disciplined than most Swifters, because the thing with Zwift is you do get sucked into these into these battles, obviously. As a pro rider, you've got enough discipline to know that it can sometimes make sense to back off a bit. Yeah, it's. I mean, you you can see very easily how that can happen. You know, I mean, you even see if you join a group ride that's supposed to be kind of a relaxed ride, there's still people who want to go a bit harder than whatever the prescribed pace is. They're looking for people to go a bit harder, and you know, I think that's kind of funny because there's plenty of races on offer on Zwift. You know, you definitely at the races you find no shortage of people looking to empty the tank and, and kind of go full gas for 45 minutes or an hour. You know, it's it's always more motivating. I mean, that's why you can go deeper in races than maybe you can on your own. Is the kind of the competition, the competitive edge comes out and it pushes everybody to kind of get the best out of themselves. And I think you definitely see that happen on Zwift as well. And um, one thing that I know Zwifters will really be desperate for me to ask you is. What, what is your setup? What, what do you ride on? And have you got a big screen TV? And you know, what does your pain cave look like, Andrew? Uh, the trainers, the Tax Neo Smart. So it's nice, you know, changes the resistance for you. Um, you know, Tax was kind enough to get that sent out really quickly to me once I got uh, after I was injured. Um, you know, before that, I was just kind of using it uh, with with a power meter and, and, you know, I guess what people would call a dumb trainer and getting on the smart trainer like the Tax Neo really changed the whole experience. You know, I think that the, the smart trainer is kind of the key to getting the real Zwift experience, you know, the resistance changing uphill, downhill, uh, whatever it might be. So, no, I, I just have my have my laptop have a have the trainer set up uh, you know have we do have a little room in our house that's kind of an exercise room set up so I do it in there um, but I'm definitely after after this experience looking to get a little bit bigger screen and get the setup a bit more dialed in let's look forward what what what, what do you think the season holds for you this year what, what if we were at the end of October and we were looking back on the season how, how would you like it to have played out well I mean you know, sitting sitting here now is a little bit different. We're expecting our first baby, um, kind of in this coming week. You know, just uh, that's the due date. So, I've been been able to be home here with my wife in uh, in Napa, in California. Uh, you know, haven't haven't started racing or anything. Um, also had that had that thumb injury. So overall, I would say you know it's it's definitely slowed me down a little bit for the spring, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the scope of what the goal is kind of more focused on Tour of California and the Tour de France. I think everything still lines up pretty well for that. Uh, and, you know, same thing as I kind of gets redundant or sounds cliche, but I say at the end of every season is that, you know, if in October I can look back and say that I put together 
you know, I, I had the solid buildup and put together the best prep I could for, for the Tour de France in July. You know, last year it was for the Vuelta España. This year it'll be for the Tour de France. Um, then, then I'll be satisfied. And, you know, we have to let that play out on the road and see what the, the results might look like and what the race would look like. But if I can put together, you know, the proper training and the proper race buildup to it, um, I'll be happy with that. I, th I think there'll be a lot of Swifters maybe taking a, a renewed interest in, in how you get on this year as a result of, uh, of you being on the platform and, and, and being very friendly and, and accessible to people there. So um, uh, I, hope, I hope you've won lots of new fans. Uh, really the very, very best of luck for the upcoming season. Um, congratulations in advance on becoming a dad. And thank you very much indeed for spending some time uh, with the Zwiftcast. Oh, well, thank, thank you for taking the time to chat, Simon. And thank you to, you know, all the, the, the great people in the Zwift community. I've definitely enjoyed it. And even though uh, my thumb's healed up now, I'll definitely be back on and, and uh, using it regularly as a training tool. So thank you. Right on. It's possible to argue that one of the best things Zwift has done since its launch is the Zwift Academy program. Not only has this done a great deal to stimulate and encourage women's cycling, it's also produced a pro cyclist. Leah Thorvaldson won the contest, which used Zwift as a giant talent spotting device. She became the one from a field of 1,200 to win a pro contract with the Canyon Shram women's team. We followed her progress on the Zwift cast throughout, and I spoke to her in an airport just a few hours after the announcement. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I, it's, it's, um, yeah, the first Cat 4 Pro ever, I think. <laughs> Leah was realistic about what it all meant. I don't think that I've come from starting this program in June and that I am at um, or even near really the talent level of the women who are already on that team. But the fact that I could develop myself in that shorter time from a new rider to someone who they see as having the potential to go and ride on a pro circuit is pretty incredible. But now it's for real. Leah, you're in yet another airport. Last time I spoke to you, it was an airport on the way back from Mallorca where you had been announced as the winner of the first Swift Academies uh, competition, which made you into a pro rider. And now I'm talking to you after your first, I think they're your first kind of official pro rider races, aren't they, with the Canyon Shram women's team um well and I've, I've actually had one other trip since Mallorca and that's 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 funny for you to say um where I was made into a pro cyclist because I feel like now is when I'm actually becoming or feeling really like a pro cyclist um I had a trip to Australia in between Mallorca and and Belgium where I went and observed the team um, preparing for and competing in the Tour Down Under. And then I also raced in some local level um, mixed men's and women's criteriums just to get something of a feel for riding in a bunch. Um, 
because I really had such little race experience. How, how was that for you? Did, was that a big step up? You know, it was um, terrifying going into it just because the first race I did in Australia was a Kermesse, which is like a circuit. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but I was able to see that I need some work on descending. That's where I was losing the group and then the um, criteriums. And, um, and I thought that I was going to hate it. I um, was pleasantly surprised. Of course, I was broken in pretty easily. Instead of just saying, like, that was horrifying and I never want to do that again, I actually was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed it. The last week has seen you, re- really the season kind of starting properly with, with, right. with respect to to our friends in, in Australia, but, but, but the European season starting properly. And you've done a couple of what looked to me to, to, me to be pretty tough races, um, typical kind of Belgian weather, uh, yeah. lots of things in the road in the way. H- how did you get on? You know, and I had, I'd been told, just throw yourself into that washing machine, you know, get get in there and experience floating up to the front and to the back. And the first day, I didn't do a great job of even sticking my nose in it. I just, I think I was just like, you know, I just want to feel this out. And I'm okay. I'm okay floating on the back, even despite like being told that that wasn't where to be. I think when you're going into something like that, like it's so many elements that you hadn't experienced before. I hadn't ridden on cobbles before. I hadn't ridden on, you know, with that kind of wind, with that kind of group, with that aggressive um, of a bunch of riders. I don't like riding it, um, having to ride my bike in the convoy. I don't, and it's funny how you don't realize the, the fractional difference between being on the back of the Peloton and being in the cars. You're in the back of the pack the cars are right on your butt. You know, I had I had our team director, we had we were mic'd up that day and, and he was saying, you know, use the cars, use the cars, which if you haven't ever done it before and don't know the rules about where to pass them and that they will let you in to, you know, kind of jump car to car to car to try to get back to the bunch, it's horrifying. Like I was less, I thought, oh my gosh, I tried that. Um, I think I just needed, I needed a day to wrap my mind. I needed the experience once to wrap my mind around it. And then to talk with Barry, um, Barry Austin, who's the director sportif for the team and, um, and have him tell me this is the way that that works. And, you know, now do you understand? We will have a conversation about it afterwards. I mean, every race you must be learning like, 10 times as much as you've ever learned before about riding a bike in a racing situation, I'm guessing. So, so much. Um, like I said, one thing I told myself yesterday that was finish. And then my uh, the other goals I had for myself were get into the middle and on or near the front at least once to feel that. You know, like just don't be afraid to don't tell myself like that I'm not ready because you'll never get ready if you don't go and try it. In my mind, the worst case scenario would have been if I'd gone up there and got so nervous that I got sketchy and I caused a crash. I don't want to be, oh, that Swift girl from Canyon Sram. That's really interesting you raised that, the phrase, that Swift girl. Are you (laughs) kind of massive? Are you really, really conscious of that the whole time? Do you think that actually in some senses adds to the pressure on you? It was really funny to put it in perspective, kind of getting off. Um, I was getting off the camper yesterday and there's there's fans, you know, that stand outside the camper and they've got these pictures printed of each of the girls on the team with their name on it that they want 
autographs. And, uh, I, don't, I don't have I don't have a picture of that one. <laughs> um, so in my mind, I don't feel that the girls who are in those races aren't worried about me. I, I would not be surprised if they don't have a clue who I am. But I don't want it to turn into when I say that I don't I don't want it to be like, oh, who was the person who caused that big wreck? from Canyon Sram. And it's like, oh, and then they find out the story. And then it's, you know, right now, I think it's such a great story. I want to keep it that way. And I understand there's, there's, there's drama and tragedy and, and, and chaos that makes cycling the wonderful sport that it is. But if I can help it, I'd hope not to cause something major. I, I mean, I think any neo pro, regardless of where they've come from, right. would, would, would feel the same, wouldn't they? Are you enjoying the whole experience or is it or is that the wrong question i'm imagining the whole experience must blow your mind every day most it most does. days it does i i just it was overwhelming to be there and to think i don't you know i don't know what i'm what i'm about to get into and um and i'm away from home i haven't been away from home for a month at a time before you know i'm not i'm not going back to the states until um after my next race which is at the end of march so i just was you know overwhelmed and and I just thought I don't know if I'm cut out for this I'm in a very different place now just a few days later what what's been super gratifying I guess is just seeing myself make progress in a short time it's just like you know you go through the one race and it's like okay I know what I did wrong but am I now can I go and execute better one day later and to just go okay yeah I did get on the front of the Peloton and I don't think anybody would say it was smart to stay literally on the front the entire race. So you kind of say, okay, this is where I just fall back. This is where I relax and just let myself get sucked back in. And I didn't like that. (laughs) And I mean, that's, but that's just one of those things where, you know, I didn't like negotiating the cars. It's it's just, it's essential part of of being a pro cyclist how how you get I mean I know what you're going to say because there's only one answer really but but (laughs) but how you getting on with the team and the comradeship and fitting into you know a tight-knit bunch of 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 athletes no one has no one has been unkind um I do feel like um I mean there are there are some of the girls who maybe it's just their nature but I would say you know really are going out of their way to help me and give me tips when they see things I can improve on and inform me about things to be aware of and tell me things that they see I'm doing better, which, you know, I can feel better about myself, but to get the compliment from them that, you know, wow, you're riding so much better in a group. And I I saw, you know, you did this and this, I can tell you're getting more comfortable. It's just nice to hear. It's just refreshing. And it's, you know, a few of the girls said, I'm actually really impressed. And, you know, Alexis Ryan, who's from the U.S., has been on this team for her second year now. And she said, there are some there are some girls from the U.S. who come over and never finish a European race the whole time. So it's just kind of put in perspective that it's like I can be proud of my progress. And it's not like, hey, I think I might, you know, next race, I mean, I might win. But just to hear them say, like, wow, I'm really impressed. I was just like, wow, really? You know, and... I don't think it's unrealistic that I'll be able to help. You know, I know that was something when we talked in Mallorca that I had just said, I have, I don't have any idea how realistic it is or not for me to think I'll be able to help them. But now I feel like two races in, if I've made the progress from one race to the next, I don't know that it will be in the next race, but I do feel like by the end of the season, 
there will come, you know, that I will have been able to contribute something to the team. And that just feels really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's an incredibly realistic and I would have thought achievable goal. I'm going to ask you finally this last question, and it might sound a bit negative, actually, but... (laughs) <laughs> but 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 you, I mean, now now you've got two races under your belt. You've had some experience of, of being a pro rider and and being a part of the team, and, and of course, you know, spring in Belgium, it's it, you know that's not easy. That's really not easy. <laughs> but but it's probably going to get more difficult in in different ways to come. Are you are you confident that you can see your way to finishing the season, to completing a season in Europe? I have to say yes, because I hadn't even, I mean, you know, barring unforeseen circumstances, if, if, if I have, if I do have a wreck that causes some sort of injury is the only reason I can think of not, I guess maybe I don't even know the rules on that. Like, why would, why would I not? <laughs> I don't think that not finishing it is an option. I will finish the damn races. <laughs> it's really good to hear. Um, Leah, it's, it's, it's great to catch up with you. I, I really, uh, you know, I really hope we can continue actually to to, to get progress reports through the season. Sure, you know, and I know that there's lots and lots and lots of people in the Zwift community super super interested in in how you're doing and and you know to get these chats from you and and I think you're very candid and very honest about you know, how hard it is being a pro rider and especially where you've come from. So it's it's fantastic to hear from you. I'm sure the next time we talk, it probably will be in another airport. Probably so. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, Leah. Keep going. All right. Thanks, Simon. You're listening to the Zwiftcast. Leah's a new pro, Andrew Talansky, who we heard earlier, is a current pro but they're not the only types of pro who we can spot Zwifting. A growing number of ex-pros have joined the platform. Old habits die hard, and many of them like to get on and give it full gas. Amongst them is Adrian Timmis. Right on! Welcome to the podcast to Adrian Timmis, one of a number of ex-pros who you can see on the platform. Now, Adrian was... uh, well, you were a pretty famous guy in the 1980s, weren't you, Adrian? A little bit, yeah. I was on the first British team to ride the Tour for 30 years uh, in 1987, so 30, 30 years ago this year. And that was, uh, just just for those who didn't quite catch that quick reference to Tour, that was that was the Tour de France? Yeah, the Tour de France, uh, the one that Stephen Roach won. And the one that produced one of the most famous pieces of cycling commentary ever, when Stephen Roach, the great Irish rider, staged an amazing comeback on the climb of La Plane after he'd been dropped by Pierre Delgado, taking everyone on the line by surprise, including Phil Liggett. And just who is that rider coming up behind? Because that looks like Roach. That looks like Stephen Roach. It's Stephen Roach who's come over the line. He almost caught Pedro Delgado, I don't believe it. Yeah, uh, everyone who um, who knows their cycling history will remember that one. You were a you were a climber, really, weren't you? Yeah, supposed to be. Um, until the tour, I'd never seen any high mountains or even ridden in them before. Um, it was a baptism of fire. It's not like today where yeah, climbers live in the mountains and train in the mountains and then uh, and then race in the mountains. Adrian Timmis was not only underprepared for that tour, one of the hottest and fastest of its era, but the ANC Holford's team was shockingly underfunded, with the team principal effectively doing a bunk in the final week. It's the stuff of cycling legend. 
Adrian made it to Paris, but no higher or further in his cycling career. 30 years on, he's happy running a bike shop in the Midlands in the UK. But Adrian's not old school when it comes to riding, racing and training. And he's an enthusiastic Zwifter. Last winter, it was sort of the buzzword of the shop was people were telling me about Zwift. And I think it was probably end of October, November. I thought, I'll, I'll give it a try. Ever since then, I have to admit, I've been addicted to it. Yeah, well, that, that, that happens to a lot of people. Um, how do you use it? I've enjoyed the racing on Zwift, uh, if I'm honest. I've, I've really loved that, um, even though I'm getting my head kicked in by all the big guns on there. Um, so, yeah, I use it every day. Like this morning, I've just gone on for an easy ride. So it's not all racing. It's just easy stuff. And I am training for the Attack of the Tour this year um, that finishes up the Azawad. So it's going to be a useful tool for that as well. The Etap du Tour sees thousands of amateurs tackle a tour mountain stage on a rest day for the pros. Given his heritage, Adrian shouldn't struggle, and given his numbers, he should be amongst the first over the line. Now in his 50s, Adrian is a very trim 61 kilos, with an FTP of 327 watts, and he's clearly still competitive. And that, of course, includes a bit of pro-stalking on Swift, I like to watch what the pros are doing and uh, yeah, some are getting the miles in, some it's efforts. I've seen Bo Snargan do uh, some sessions where he's doing 30 on, 15 off for 10 minutes, 10 minute blocks. And then yeah, Matt Heyman, he'll just sit there for hours at a time by the looks of it. Many of today's pros are keen students of cycling history and Adrian was flattered when a modern day British hero in the form of breakaway specialist Steve Cummings recognised him as they rode together up the Watopia mountain. Ride with Steve Cummings for an hour on Sunday, which was uh, entertaining. Uh, I'd already gone up the mountain once and I hadn't felt that great. And then I'd logged off and logged back on to do recovery rides and then saw Steve-O's name. Uh, so I clicked on it and then started riding with him. And then he sort of... Uh, Asked if it was me, which was, he said, Adrian, um, which was sort of good for my ego that he recognised me. And then I rode up the mountain with him. Um, and we had some fun because he, he kept trying to attack me up the, up the mountain. And uh, I think he must have attacked me four or five times. And I held on. And then he just, he just dropped me at the top. Like all the pros or ex-pros I've spoken to, Adrian's in no doubt about the value of Zwift as a training tool. But as he told me, He's always been a bit of a geek. I was one of the first guys to, to have a, one of those big polar heart rate monitors, and I always used the turbo in the 80s. Um, I'd go out for five hours on the bike, and then I'd do a threshold session when I got home. And even in retirement, like I've bought a power meter, I'm, I'm, I'm into those sorts of numbers and seeing how I, how I improve. Zwift's would have been a great tool and you've only got to see the pros that are actually using it at the moment. Pro riders, I think, always have a bit of a competitive streak even when they're retired, don't they? Yeah, I am. I have, yeah, I'm still competitive. I've won a couple of Zwift races already. I ra raced against Talansky the other Saturday on Box Hill. Where are you going to do that? Yeah, I found something. I think the racings, I can see big things for the racing on there. Adrian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Good luck in the Zwift races. Stay fit. I'm sure you will do. And uh, it's been it's been great to hear from you. Um, there are a, a lot of people who know the cycling history will, will know your name. Thanks very much for talking to us. 
Thanks, Simon. Right on. I was lucky enough to spend a little time at the Cannondale Draypack service course in Girona last month. For those who may not know, the service course is where teams store bikes, spares, team cars, buses, and all the stuff that's needed to keep the teams supplied with what they need over the course of a long season. The mechanics were hard at work, as they always are, preparing bikes, and the sound you might be able to hear in the background during the next feature is a compressor inflating the dozens and dozens of tubular tyres which were being glued to rims. We'll get to that in a moment, but just before we do, a quick plug for Girona. Welcome to Girona, the Spanish city at the foot of the Pyrenees, that's a really popular place for pro riders to make their home. I'm in one of their favourite haunts right now, the Federal Café. And sat about three metres away from me is a Katusha rider who's obviously just finished a training ride and looks to be refuelling on a healthy looking snack. I nipped out this morning to get a few miles in and just happened to bump into the Stavello ladies team out on a training ride, which was a nice surprise. A couple of other obviously pro riders went past me, too fast to identify. It's that kind of place. If you like stalking pro riders, it's a great place for a cycling break. The old town is very beautiful and you can be walking down one of the narrow streets and see a flash of bright red or fluorescent green and know it's a pro rider returning from a training ride. February is probably the best time for serious pro action as most of them haven't set off for racing. And as an alternative to Mallorca, I'd recommend it thoroughly. Anyway, let's get back to business. At the Cannondale service course, I got to spend some time with Keith Flory, the team's performance director. Well, here in a quiet corner of the Cannondale Draypack service course, I'm joined by the team's performance director. Um, I think the first question really that people are going to be interested in is, what does a performance director for a pro team do? My role explicitly at, at the present time is, is to, to look at the foundations of, of what we're doing. Probably 60-70% of our riders use external coaches. So building relationships with external coaches, trainers, um, making sure that everyone is pointing in the same direction, communicating with the external trainers, working with them, working with the riders, filling in gaps, developing a, a partnership between them. Then it's looking at very specific projects, um, whether it's aerodynamics or a particular conditioning program, etc. Um, training camps are my are within my remit as well, um, and we look at scheduling them and then also the the programming of them, um, and then looking at a whole host of other little projects along the way. To what extent? As professional athletes, are they granted autonomy for their own condition? I mean, in the old days, cyclists were expected to turn up for the race in the right place to be in the right place in the race. They were kind of responsible for their own condition. Is that changing these days? I think ultimately riders are always responsible for their the state of themselves. Ultimately, they, they always take full responsibility. Um, but but what we are trying to do is working with them to aid them 
in terms in in the process of getting them ready for the right day for the right race for the right target based on what their 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 role is within that race as well so ultimately riders always need to take responsibility for themselves and whether it's whether it's at any race or training they they are ultimately responsible um, and i think some riders are better at it than others and some riders recognize that more than others we all know how strongly minded most cyclists are and i would imagine in pro cyclists that's even more the case and we all know how many different opinions you can get from a coach if you ask a coach for one way of doing things and you ask five coaches you'll probably get five different ways that that must make your job a bit on the tricky side yeah you, you, and you're absolutely right you know you get 10 people in the room all of similar standing similar education and you get them to 10 different flavors of an answer um the, 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 it, it a lot of the time it's contextual contextual and that you have to step back and actually observe and and look at the data um and, and if progression is being made then then there isn't always a course of action in terms of this is right or wrong um it, sometimes it's opinion based but equally you also have some hard and fast data to to back up viewpoints um, so it's utilizing that data and and some sound principles from within physiology or, or whatever area it might be to to really nail down the the pathway of progression basically so i mean this is a, a podcast for zwifters and, and clearly we're we're interested in in fitness and condition because we're all cyclists but we're particularly interested in the value or otherwise of indoor training now when you're dealing with the rarefied ranks of pro cyclists obviously you're dealing with the one percent or the mm. the one percent or one percent to an extent but in general, given your job and given the, 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 the knowledge that you're able to bring to it, what do you consider to be the value of indoor training? More than probably people realise. I think a, a lot of riders, a lot of people's perception of pros is that they'll just go out and do Ks. And that, that, that is correct to some degree. Um, but then there's a, a, a large volume of quality work that has to be built into their their preparation and and a lot of the time doing it on a on an indoor trainer is is the best way to ensure quality um you know things get in the way traffic lights other cars etc and it can get troublesome trying to get that quality outside um so yeah for, for me that indoor trainers are a must and some guys like them more than others but equally you can't hide from the quality that you get from from using them and in in uh, there's probably no such thing as an average pro, but 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 let's talk about you know such a thing if it, if it could possibly exist. Would you expect them to be doing some indoor training during the on season? Would would you expect that to be part of their program? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I would. You know, as I said, it all comes down to that quality. You know, that it's it, it's not unusual for riders to be incorporating that once, maybe twice a week. Um, it, particularly troublesome to do it when it's in the hotter months just because we all no one really likes riding indoor when it's stinking hot um, but but yeah no you'll you'll get guys who do quality sessions once maybe twice a week throughout the year 
And what we've seen today, and, and it was interesting to see some of the, the team reaction today, some of them have never seen Zwift before, some of them have never ridden Zwift before, some of them have never put together this 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 very modern experience of an interactive trainer that with a great road feel like the Tax Neo and Zwift on an iPad where you've got fantastic graphics in great resolution. What what did you think just looking down the ranks of the, the pros' faces today? How do you think it went down? It was good. Uh, I think I think the change in stimulus is always a key. Um, you know, the guys, their profession, they do it day in, day out. And whenever we can change stimulus and create uh, a change in the monotony that, that, that they might have had for the previous 10 years is a great thing because it keeps things fresh. It keeps things new and novel. And, you know, the guys, you know, they're laughing and joking today. And, and I think they had a positive experience. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, people keep, the guys keep popping up on, on Zwift and, you know, just make brief cameos or, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they start to use it. There's a big debate in the Zwift community about the potential power of the platform as a serious training tool. Now, I don't know whether you've had the opportunity to look into whether you think it's possible, but but just from what you've seen today, do you think the potential is there for, maybe not for pro riders, but for serious committed amateur riders, do you think it, it has the potential to be a serious training tool? I think so. I don't, I don't see why it, why it wouldn't be. You know, it's it's creating a different environment to to affect training um, and there's many ways to you know to skin a cat and, and I think the virtual world is 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 there it's 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 where we are now you know in a lot of ways and I think I think it can be used just as much as a serious training tool as a recreation you know hobby I, th- I think I genuinely think that um, finally what would you like to see this team achieve this year what do you think this team could achieve this year there's a certain race in France in July, which has a ridiculously disproportionate effect on how the team is viewed, how much money is attracted into the sport and possibly even into individual teams. And it does carry this crazy disproportionate focus for for the whole of the sport. So I'm going to have to ask you, you know, how do you think you might be able to do in France in July? Good. I mean, I think, I think last year... In 2016, the the team was riding very well, and there was there was a number of unfortunate incidents, and I think that masked how well they were going. And that, and that you know, there's there's no excuses that you you put in the world, but just just realities. And I think if we can replicate that and do more, then then we will we will surprise the vast majority of people. I suspect. That's a tantalising prospect. Thanks very much indeed for your time, and thanks for. Uh, letting us have such uh, privileged access to the service course. It's been very interesting today. Pleasure, no problem. Let's round off this special episode with a walk around the bay with a few Cannondale Draypack riders. I caught up with some riders in the Federal Cafe in Girona, and on their bikes when they did a group ride with hundreds of Zwifters last month. Taylor Finney's an interesting character. The son of Davis Finney, the star of the American 7-Eleven team in the 80s and early 90s. With a famous dad and no mean talent himself, Taylor's carried the burden of expectation, the most extravagant of which 
was probably not fulfilled in his six seasons at BMC, and definitely not helped by a horrific accident in 2014 when he shattered a leg. Taylor's a monster time trialist, an outspoken anti-doper, and keen Zwifter. Yeah, I mean, I'm all talk, but I was definitely a beta tester, early adapter. Taylor's an ex-gamer, and he told me off mic he'd met Zwift CEO Eric Min several times to discuss game development. And if he sounds just a fraction breathless, that's because he was holding 350 watts or more the whole time we talked. I mean, I think it's a pretty, pretty remarkable platform. I'm riding with an old family friend right now, Drew Gear, and he's back in Boulder in Colorado and I'm in Spain. So pretty ridiculous, actually, in a good way. Yeah, I definitely ride inside like if I have to and Zwift is the best way to do that. But I got to be a hard man to ride outside most of the time. But for the, the everyday cyclist, it's a great platform and it's great for us too. So why haven't we seen Taylor racing like his teammate, Andrew Talansky? Uh, <laughs> man, I don't know. I feel like there's some strong people on the internet. I'm a little bit intimidated. Even right now, I'm breathing hard. And like you said, I'm radiating <laughs> heat into your face. He was as well. How does Taylor see the future of indoor riding? Man, I don't know. Everything's just getting easier, you know? It's like more practical, simpler attachments. I mean, we're looking at an iPad right now. I remember when you had to connect just to the computer and it was like a whole thing. But technological advancements, I don't know how they do it, but they just keep getting better. And finally, I asked Taylor what he wanted to get out of this season. I just want to win some bike races, you know? Do the classics. Paris-Roubaix is always a goal and then do my first Tour de France. I'd love to go for the yellow jersey on the uh, on the first stage there in the time trial. Right on! Next, I spoke to Ryan Mullen, an Irish rider and another time trialist. He finished fifth in the 2016 TT World Champs. He's only 22. I think he might have been pulling my leg a bit when I asked him about training indoors. I do a bit, yeah. Whenever it rains, I don't go outside. <laughs> I just stay indoors. I can't believe that a pro rider never yeah, rides in the rain. I'm That's made out of true, sugar. That <laughs> may not be true. That is very true, believe is me. Is it really? Yeah, I don't like getting my shoes dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right, too. Well, they only need cleaning afterwards. What would be an average indoor session for you? What, what, what would you be looking to do as a... Um, you know, a decent a decent session. Just describe that to me. Well, like six times five minutes at four fifty or something like that. Right. Okay. And and what kind of recovery interval in between? Six minutes. Okay. So the whole yeah. thing might take an hour. That sounds like a tough session. Is this your first experience of Swift? It is. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of it? It's kind of weird not being able to steer. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite good fun. What about the Tax Neo? Have you had much experience with smart trainers? Never. I've always had like an old fan turbo. Really? Yeah. So this is a completely new experience for you? Yeah, completely, yeah. I've never done anything virtual on a, on a trainer before. I've seen a lot of people tweeting about Zwift before. And when we got the opportunity to try it out today, I was pretty excited. So it's all good. So this really is an introduction to the modern world to you, Ryan. Where have you been? In a cave somewhere <laughs> with my old trainer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
You're listening to the Zwiftcast. In the cafe a day earlier, I spoke to Tom Squeegens, who managed to put time into and eventually beat Peter Sagan at the Tour of California after a huge attack off the front and a solo TT to stage victory, and that was in 2015. Tom's from a small village in Latvia where the harsh Baltic winters have made him very familiar with the benefits of training indoors. Indoors, definitely the most useful one is like on and off, 30 seconds full gas, 30 seconds cruising, 30 seconds full gas, just because it's hard to, it's always hard to find a space, a location for that. You need a quiet road, you need good surface, you need no stoplights for a while. And um, that's definitely one of the workouts I see very beneficial on the trainer yeah that's definitely one of the because like you're going so hard as well and you're going those 30 seconds full out and even if you're on the road you're on on the bike just like suffering and your lactate is so high sometimes your arms might cramp or something you know so the worst thing can happen is you fall off the trainer instead of you going into the opposite side of the road and a car coming at you you know 30 seconds, full gas, 30 seconds rest and repeat is an absolutely brutal session. I wondered how long Tom had managed to last at his longest attempt. So I did, um, I think I did three sets of, no, two sets, let's not over-exaggerate. I did uh, two sets of 20 minutes when I was doing it, so... 30 seconds on, 30 seconds on. Yeah, it was... But it's not, it wasn't like, oh, today I start these 30 second efforts and let's go full out two sets of 20s. No, uh, you build up to it, you you start to enjoy it more as well as the more you do it, like the first time is going to be, you're going to be puking almost, you know, but your body gets used to it, your body gets used to the lactic acid and it definitely is very beneficial, even in the off season. Patrick Bevan is a Kiwi, a new rider to the World Tour and a promising talent. He's an all-rounder with a TT focus and finished second in the Australian Sun Tour race in 2015. It's so interesting talking to pro riders about their programmes. Patrick is yet another one with a serious indoor training habit. Um, we were just chatting off mic and you were telling me you've done a double day today. So um, that's interesting because you've, you've mixed being out on the road with being indoors. So tell me what the kind of theory behind those, those sort of days are. Uh, it's about quality really overall. Uh, so this morning it's, it's two and a half hours on the road getting a bit of, bit of volume in. And then this afternoon I was on the time trial bike on the trainer in the service course. And uh, the idea is you get four hours of real quality work done through the day and then can really nail the intervals uh, at the end. And what, what kind of intervals did you do on the, um, at the service course today? And you were on a Tax Neo that was not plugged in, which sounds to me as though it was going to be hard work. It was torturous. Uh, it was actually the first time I've ridden the time trial bike in, uh, in a few months, so it was kind of a mix of efforts just to kind of reacquaint myself with, with the time trial bike and uh, 
it wasn't particularly pleasant, that, that's for sure. And but it was yeah, it was it was a mix of kind of threshold, threshold plus, and uh, just just mixing it up to to get some work done. But but even given that you spend a lot of your time in good weather, you you still train uh, quite heavily indoors. Why do you do that, and what kind of value do you think you get from it? A lot of the quality intervals. I do, I do on the trainer, to, to regardless of the weather, which is, is kind of funny. You get some get some days which are beautiful when you're uh, slogging away on your terrace looking at the sun. But uh, it's really, it's just about quality, about con- being able to control control the training. And it, there's even an element of safety when you kind of, some of the, the really specific intervals when you really have to think and you really have to uh, push push hard for, say, say, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. You don't really want to be thinking about traffic and turns and wind and climbs and cars all of that so it's a big big part of it is just that that control that and that quality yeah and i've been asking several riders this because I, I i just think the answers we're getting are, are really really interesting what do you think is the most valuable interval session that you can do on a trainer uh, I would say the most valuable would be the on-off work where you can really control how hard the on, how hard the off is, your cadence, standing, seated. You can actually control all the variables and I think it's one, it's one that you can't do quite the same on the road. So I would say that to me would be the, the, the most important one. Australian rider Brendan Canty has come a long way in a short time. He only took up cycling around five or six years ago. Now he's riding for Cannondale Draypark. And we need to give a little credit here to my co-host, Shane Miller. Well, uh, Shane Miller actually lives out my way in Melbourne, Australia, and I was out r- training with one of my friends. Oh, I can't remember what it was back in the at the start of my riding, and I, we stopped at a cafe and Shane Miller was there, and... He was kind of eavesdropping on our conversation and came over and started talking to us a little bit and he obviously knew a fair bit about cycling, a lot more than what I did. I mean, we were talking about heart rate data and he, he came across and started talking about power meter data and I'm like, what's this? And then ended up asking him um, about cycling clubs in, in the area and how do you sign up and, and where all the racing's at and uh, he gave me some good advice and from there I signed up with a, with a cycling club. And our final pro tip from the pro riders, never forget the value of rest and recovery. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, a lot of people ask me how I can sleep so long at night time. And I say, well, firstly, I'm quite tired. And, and secondly, it's very important. So you try and get as much of it as you can. Um, you know, the phone app tells me on average how many hours of sleep I get. And it's, you know, I think it was the last time I checked, it was about nine and a half to 10 hours on average, um, which is significantly higher than the everyday individual, I think. Um, and even just arriving here, I've been here for two days and I've already went to a bed shop looking at mattresses and picking up my own bed. I mean, I'm here for at least hopefully a few years, so it's an investment where I think in the long run it, it's worthwhile because if you sleep better, you recover better and then you can train and perform better at race day. That's it for this special episode, Swifters. I hope you've enjoyed it. I ought to say thank you very much indeed to Cannondale Draypack, who were incredibly accommodating and very, very friendly in giving me access to the riders and the service course. Tax, who were equally helpful, and of course Swift for their continued support of the podcast. We're back to a normal edition next time, along with Shane and Nathan. I hope you can join us.